All right, well, welcome, everybody. Glad you guys are here. I hope you're having a great time at the Send North America Conference. I think it's been tremendous, and uh, I brought actually 14 members from our team in West Palm Beach, and uh, we're really just really having a, a great time together and learning and uh, connecting and networking. I uh, want to talk to you uh, today. To the, 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 the title is The Math Does Not Work, and the reason that I know the math does not work is uh, we have a goal at our church of trying to plant 100 churches in South Florida, and we're working at that. So far, we've got about four churches that we've planted, and we're participating and helping with some others in South Florida. Um, but uh, if we're going to get to 100, we're, we're trying to do the math and figure out how we're actually going to get there, how we're going to fund this, how we're going to provide the leaders for this. And we're recognizing that the math doesn't work in the traditional church planting model, and so we're trying to figure out new ways to do it. And uh, as you guys know, church planting is all about reproduction. And if there's one thing God's let Christian and, and me do, we, we've been able to reproduce. So that's our that's our children. And uh, my wife, Kristen, we've been married for uh, 17 years. And then we have children. None of them are adopted. They're all uh, homemade, and uh, none of them are uh, none of them are twins. And so we have our oldest is 16, the one that's smiling, and our youngest is three, the one that's not. And and so we have uh, six boys and two girls, and uh, we're very thankful that God's let us, you know, have the children that we have. And uh, it is a huge challenge trying to parent teenagers. So we have three teenagers at our house. Uh, I'm going to have teenagers in my house. Uh, Lord, barring a tragic accident or illness, I'm going to have teenagers in my house for like 20 years. So, um, you know, I'll probably be completely insane before all of that's over. I'm halfway there now. Um, we, we, uh, moved to South Florida four years ago. We lived in Louisville for 15 years. I went to seminary there and stayed there and went to school for a long time and, uh, got to be on staff uh, at Highview Baptist Church with, uh, Kevin Ezel and, um, got to be a part of multi-site and church planting on staff there. Also, um, uh, got to, got to teach there at Southern Seminary, which was a great privilege, but I want you to know, I mean, how many, how many in this room are pastors right now? You are a pastor. Okay. How many of you guys, is there anybody in the room right now who is a bivocational pastor or church planter? Okay. Several, several of you. Great. Glad you guys are here. Oh, um, our church in West Palm Beach is the first Baptist church of West Palm Beach. And any time, whatever you're envisioning right now, when you're envisioning a first Baptist downtown church, that's what we are. Okay, so I'm talking orchestra, choir. Um, show them a picture of our church. That is our church building. So if you think to be a church planting church, uh, you've got to be in a warehouse. Okay, we're not in a warehouse. Um, you've got to have cool hair. Obviously, that's not even a possibility. So uh, I don't wear glasses yet, but I'm getting there. So I'll have some cool church planter glasses on probably the next time you see me. Um, they, this, this is our church. We're a traditional downtown First Baptist Church. We've been there for 110 years. And um, all of the, the benefits and all of the challenges in 2012 that come with being a downtown First Baptist Church, we have all of it. We have some good givers because for a long time we were the church in our community. Now we're not. Uh, for a long time, anybody who had status in our community and was white came to our church. Okay, that is not necessary. There's no status uh, attached to our church anymore. If somebody comes to our church, nobody gets it. It doesn't help them politically. It doesn't help them business-wise. 
we just have to reach people because, like Louis said last night, Jesus rose from the dead. And so that that's what we're trying to do. We've been there for four years. Um, um, our church is in the midst of transition. So uh, we're changing uh, in terms of diversity. If you come to our church right now, our church, uh, if you're sitting in our church, our church would be a lot more diverse than this room if you came to our church right now. Um, there are people from all of the nations there, a lot of Caribbean blacks. Um, there's a lot of Hispanics in our church. There's some Brazilians, there's some Asians. There, there's people. It's, it's, it's really an exciting place to be. And uh, a lot of people really like that, and a few people don't. I don't know if you can relate to that in your churches. But uh, one of the things I constantly tell our church is if they don't like that, they're going to just hate it when they get to heaven, aren't they? I mean, they're going to be really disgusted in heaven. And, and so we, we are a church in transition. Part of another way that we're transitioning is we have been a traditional downtown church with aspirations to be a regional megachurch. And we have been a regional megachurch up until about the mid-60s, early 70s. Then the dynamics change, community grows. And we've always had that aspiration to be a regional megachurch. And with those aspirations comes we've been on television. We've tried to build mega facilities. We have plans drawn up. I don't know how many of you guys have, have ever been to a church or are at a church where you have a, a master plan. Okay, we have like four of them, okay, on, on file for thou, multi, you know, 4,000-seat sanctuaries and whole complexes of this and that, parking garages. We've got all that. That's always been our aspiration. We believe that um, the next iteration of ministry, reaching people for Christ in our community, is we think it's church planting. We think it is creating networks of neighborhood churches Churches where people live, um, churches that are able to minister to families, minister to people from all walks of life, churches that identify communities and groups of people who are unreached or underserved by churches and trying to reach them for Jesus Christ, tell them the gospel of Christ, baptize them, and fold them into the life of a local church. So that is what we've decided. Instead of, we've, we've shelved all of the master plans. In fact, we are creating a new master plan right now, and the only thing that is really involved in the master plan is tearing down about 40% of our facilities and trying to, we're, we're trying to think about how we can spend the money that we have in order to reach the community where they are. And so that, that's what we're trying to do. Now, as we've looked at our community, this is why the math does not work. Typical um, church planting strategy in terms of funding and resources and leadership um, goes like this. You want to plant a church, you find a church to sponsor you. If you're Southern Baptist, you connect with your association and the state convention and the North American Mission Board and you get assessed by this, 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 and this, and you call your grandma and your grandpa and your old church and your parents' church and your cousin's church and you try to cobble together as much money as you can. And you probably want to try to raise, if you could, if you're really successful, maybe a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand a year and most people who are funding you are going to raise, are going to fund you at some level for maybe three years, sometimes outside shot, five years. At the end of three or four or five years, the mark of your success will have nothing to do with reaching people, preaching the gospel, baptizing, have nothing to do with it. The thing that will allow you to stay or not will be whether or not you have raised enough money to pay your church's expenses on its own, including supporting you and your family and maybe some other pastors at a middle-class lifestyle. And if you can't, then church probably goes under or 
you know, a lot of times the church planter will declare themselves to heaven. Are, are we getting mood lighting like right now? I mean, I love you guys, but this is a little bit too romantic for me. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Everybody's lighting up their lighters, right? I know we had some Seattle church planters in here. All right, good. All right, so uh, that, that's, this is even better. That's, that's how, it was just like getting darker and darker. And I was thinking, is it just me? I, that's exactly right. I need the church planter glasses. All right, so, so uh, that's the way it typically goes. And what happens at about four or five years when the church planter figures out that they have something going, they've attracted some people, they've reached some people for Christ, but not enough of them that can give enough money to support them at a middle-class lifestyle and pay the church expenses, they declare themselves then to have the apostolic gift. They like to start things. That's what God's gifted them to do. And they leave and hand the church off to an inferior pastor who then lets the church kind of doggy paddle along or die. And that's, that is our church planting method. And then the church planter gets to declare, hey, I planted a church here and I planted a church there, but none of those churches really exist anymore in any kind of a healthy way because, because they had to leave because they couldn't afford to stay. Then they had to hand it to somebody who could afford to stay, but that person didn't have the time or the skills or the gifts to lead at the level that they were leading when they were full-time. And so this is our church planter. And, and uh, Pastor Steve Wright is on our staff, one of the pastors on our team, focusing on church planting. He's sitting right over here, and he coined a term for this method of church planting, because we're thinking, how are we going to plant 100 churches? This is the only way we really know to do it. He calls it the Hail Mary method of church planting. And what you do is you snap the ball and you throw the bomb. Now, if you throw it out there enough times, every once in a while, somebody catches the pass. I mean, you see it on ESPN every year. So, oh, they threw a Hail Mary and won the game. And, and it will happen. There will be Hail Marys that will hit. But the problem is, if we're going to plant 13,000 churches in North America in the next 10 years. Um, we're not going to hit 13,000 Hail Marys. We're going to hit some. We're not going to hit 13,000 Hail Marys. And if we're raising 100000 or 200000 or $300,000 or $500,000 per church plant, trying to plant 13,000 churches, how much money is that? Okay, it's like a billion dollars. Okay, I mean, it's, 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 it's some ridiculous amount of money. And the way that we're doing it right now, most of these churches can't survive long term. Okay, that's just the way that it is. So what are we going to do? We began to look at our, and I know a lot of you don't live in South Florida, but I, we began to look at this. You could do the same thing, and you probably have where you live. This is how we've looked at it with the map. We, look, we live in South Florida. South Florida is made up of three counties. It is a metroplex. The county where I live is Palm Beach County. And uh, Palm Beach County has about 1.3 million people in it. It's about 19% Hispanic, and um, uh, almost 27% of people who live in our county speak a language other than English at home. So if we're going to reach a county, 1.3 million people, uh, with 27% speak a language other than English in their home, what does that mean for our church and our churches that we're planting? It means that our church and our churches are going to have to speak languages other than English at church. Okay, if we're going to reach people in their heart language. So we're going to have to think about that. That's got to be a part of our strategy. Also, what I can't show you is that um, if, you, if you look at Palm Beach County, we think there's about a million people who are unattached to any church at all. Okay, now, some of you, how many of you guys are pastoring or planting outside of the Bible Belt? Is anybody doing Yeah, some of you guys are doing that. Okay, we in South Florida are what I call below the Bible Belt. Okay, the Bible Belt in Florida kind of picks up about Orlando north 
is Bible Belt. I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida. It's South Georgia. Okay, my parents lived in Panama City. It's L.A., lower Alabama. It's right there. And so that's a whole different demographic. But you come to Palm Beach County, Broward County, Dade County, you're below the Bible Belt. And people just aren't thinking a lot of God thoughts. It's just not, they're not necessarily anti-God. They're just not, not relevant. They're not thinking about it. They're not looking, they're not looking for God, at least they're not in a way that they can articulate. They're, they're just going on with their lives. So about a million people. So here's what we figured. Are we more likely to reach a million people by trying to get our existing churches to just get more and more people to come? Or are we more likely to reach them by starting and planting new congregations in their neighborhood, speaking their heart language, connecting with them? And we think that it's, it's B. We think we can reach more people planting more churches. And if you have a million people to reach in your own county, let me just do a little math for you. That means we need a 1,000 new congregations that run a 1,000. That's a million. A 1,000 new congregations that run a 1,000 in our county. Okay, so we're going to have to come up with some kind of a model, some kind of a sustainable model that would let us find a way to plant a 1,000 new congregations that can run a 1,000. Now, we know that our church, it's going to be really hard for our church in our lifetime to, to plant a 1,000 churches. I'd like to say we have a vision to do it. Well, we, we'll, we're going to plant 100 and then see if we can plant more after that. So we're, we're working on 100. But we would like for some other churches to get engaged, and we could plant 1,000. Let's plant 1,000 churches that can run 1,000, and let's keep the ones going that we have. Let's revitalize the ones that we have, and if we can do that, we can make a dent in the lostness in our county. But the South Florida Metroplex, the Palm Beach County is just the northern edge of it. If you go down to Broward County, there's a few more people in Broward County. Broward County, uh, Palm Beach County is where Palm Beach, Jupiter, Boca Raton, uh, West Palm Beach, um, all, Palm Beach Gardens, all of that is in Palm Beach County. All right. Um, if you go to Broward County, that's mostly Fort Lauderdale. So Fort Lauderdale is in Broward County. And Fort Lauderdale has a few more people, 1.75 million people. There's about 25% are Hispanic and uh, over 35% speak a language other than English in their homes. And the lostness there, there's over one, there's probably 1.2 million people in Fort Lauderdale in Broward County that are not attached to any church, not a Catholic church, not a Lutheran church, not a, some old dead liberal church. I mean, it, just, it has nothing to do with their lives. They're not going to church. And so if we're going to reach them, we're going to need more than 1,000 churches that run 1,000. And then let's go down to Dade County. Dade County is where Miami is. Okay, Dade County, there are 2.5 million people, 65% Hispanic, and over 70% speak a language other than English in their homes. By the way, if you have 70% and then 35% and then 27% speaking a language other than English in their homes, uh, most of these churches are not going to be planted by guys from Birmingham wearing skinny jeans and church planter glasses, are they? Okay, that's, that's, really not, that's really not the way that we're going to get it done. So we're going to have to find some ways to do this that are different. And, and this is what's really interesting. If you look at, I can't, I wish I, I should get a picture of this on Google Earth. Uh, I, I want to I just vis, visualize some. This is Lake Okeechobee. It's a big lake. On most globes that you have in your house, it's a little blue dot in the middle of Florida. It's a really big lake. Okay, all of this, where my hand is, this is all Everglades. It's a swamp. There's no people living out there. I mean, it's just a swamp. That's where the Gator Boys on the animal planet, that's where they are. It's just a swamp right here. All of this is an ocean. No people live there. 
It's, it's an ocean. All of these 7 million people in our counties live on about a 15-mile-wide strip of land between the ocean and the Everglades. So it is very densely populated. You might say, well, there's only, so there's only like 7 million people in all three of those counties. Yeah, but they're, they live really close together because they live on this strip of land. If you drive from Jupiter north of where I live all the way to the Keys, the only reason you know you went to a different city is there's a green sign saying you're now entering Boca Raton. You're now entering Davie. You're now entering Fort Lauderdale. You're now entering Miami-Dade. I mean, it's just one solid city from Jupiter all the way to the Keys. And it's on this 15, 18-mile-wide strip of land. If we're going to reach these people, we're going to have to do it. We're going to have to be multicultural. Uh, we're going to have to be multi-campus. We're going to have to be multimedia. And we're going to have to think of a way to do it with the math different. So let's just think through the math. You ready? If we're going to plant a church, now let me just ask you. If you plant a church three years in, if you're a, I don't mean a Stephen Furtick taking off like a rocket because you can't see those guys coming, okay? But if you're a reasonably effective, hardworking, taking your lunch bucket to work kind of a church planter, and you are reasonably successful three years in, how many people do you think you should have attending your church? And I'm not shooting pie in the sky, but seriously, what, some of you guys have planted churches, a lot of you have. What would be a real, you think, man, if they got this, that's, that's doing pretty well. What, what number would that be? 150? Who else said something else? 100? Yeah, okay. I agree with that. If you have 100, 150 people three years in, and you had none when you got there, and you start, that's pretty impressive. Especially if you go to a place like South Florida. Now, I don't think South Florida is as hard as Boston. I don't think South Florida is as hard as Vancouver. It is harder than Louisville or Birmingham or Raleigh. I mean, it's 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 different. Okay, it's it's different, and everywhere is hard. But I'm saying it, it's a different kind of place. So, if you plant down here and you've got a hundred, hundred and fifty people, you are really succeeding. Ready to do some math? Okay. How much money per person per week do you think you should be getting? from 100 to 150 people three years in. If you're reaching a lot of new people, I mean, 100, 150 people, South Florida, how much money per person per week do you think you should get? I know this is crass, but this is this is church math. Ten bucks a head? Who said somebody? Somebody said they'll give more. How much will you give, sir? Fifteen? Less okay. Here's 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 the deal. Let's just let's just shoot for the moon. You're reaching an affluent, generous demographic. Which, if you do that, please call me and explain to me. We want to read your book. An affluent, generous demographic. Um, let's say you get twenty dollars a head, and you run a hundred people. Twenty dollars a head per week. Twenty times fifty-two is what? $104,000 a year. So you're a pretty effective church planner running 100. You've reached an affluent and generous demographic giving you $20 a head. And your budget at the end of three years when your NAM funding runs out and they're not giving you insurance anymore and all of your home church, they're wanting to move on to other projects and your funding has run out. If you are an amazingly successful church planner, your church budget is now $104,000 a year. Now, if you're going to 
rent a school, which is probably the best place to do it because they got facilities, they got an auditorium, they got classrooms, they got hallways, they got parking. It's it's pretty it's less expensive than renting anywhere else. Plus, they'll let you rent for a few hours a week, and you don't have to rent it the whole week. It's going to cost you in South Florida somewhere between a thousand dollars and fifteen hundred dollars a week to rent the school. So, if you're going to do that fifty-two times a year, how much is that thousand dollars? It's fifty-two thousand dollars. And in order to do it, you're going to have to at least hire a guitar guy. You're going to have to have a guitar man in order to have some kind of music, right? I mean, unless you can do it yourself, I don't think you're going to have you and your wife up there with a transparency, are you? Okay, so you're you're going to you're going to have somebody playing the guitar, and in order to make sure that they're there every week and halfway got their stuff together, you're probably going to have to pay them. So, how much do you think you have to pay a guitar guy every week? Hundred fifty. If you get somebody for hundred fifty, I think you're doing pretty well. But let's say you get hundred fifty, two hundred, whatever it is, just do the math, huh? You're in Oklahoma. Yeah, less expensive. There's a lot more guys with guitars there. That's why. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, so let's say you can get a guy. Let's say you get a guy $150 a week. How much is that? 52 times a year. Okay. So you 8,000 bucks, right? Um, you're probably going to have to pay somebody to help you with kids at a minimal level to make sure that they're there every week and it's done. I mean, I know your wife might do it or you might do it, but truthfully, okay. So how much you can pay them? We well, can pay them a couple hundred bucks a week or whatever. It's another eight, 10,000 bucks. Um, do you think you should do any market? You, you going to do a mail out? You're going to do something, right? Let's say you do four mail outs a year. It'd be $5,000 a piece. If you do a pretty small area, 20,000 bucks. Um, uh, we're missing a few things. What are some things we're missing so far? I think we're up to about, I don't know, 80,000 bucks already. What, what are we missing? What are some expenses we haven't accounted for yet? Huh? Senior pastor. Oh, we haven't paid him yet. Have we not a dime? What else have we not accounted for? Administrative expenses, all kinds. I mean, you have administrative expenses. You got to go to Kinkos. You, you've got the, you've got to run off some stuff. You got copies. You got phones. You got administrative expenses. Uh, also, if you're a Southern Baptist church, CP, come on, all right. So you got to do something, you know, because you got to give to missions, right? Because what you're doing isn't missions. You got no. I'm just kidding. Anyways, you got to Homer Lindsay, one of my mentors in ministry. He used to say. Uh, how come when I buy a copier, it's nothing, but when the North American Mission Board does it, it's missions? So that's, I'm sure a lot of church planners want to know the answer to that question. A- anyway, that's part of our system. We give to the CP. My ch- I love the CP. This is not being recorded, is it? I love the CP. We give to the CP. I, we're going to raise our CP giving at our church. We are raising it. I think church planners should give the CP. But I'm just telling I'm trying to lay it out for you. You do the math. You start laying out 50-something thousand dollars just for the venue to show up. And you're going to buy some administrative expenses. You've got some marketing expenses. Some kind of, you've got to put out some signage. You've got to put out some tables. You've got to buy some equipment. You've got to hire somebody to do music. You've got to hire somebody to help you with children. Uh, you, all right, you're, 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 you're $104,000 as a famously successful 100-person, $20-a-head giver. How are you doing? You haven't, you're, you're apostolic, right? And you now have the apostolic gift. You've gotten it started, and you're ready to hand it off to someone else because the math does not work. We've planted 150 churches in South Florida. I'm so proud of our church planting team. This is one of my, my favorite thing that's happened since I've been to South Florida is we've connected with the church planting team with the Florida Baptist Convention in South Florida and SIN South Florida and, and the North American Mission Board. It's phenomenal, but we've planted 150 churches in the last five years in South Florida. The largest church plants that we have are the two largest, we have two of them over 200. They're both under 250. And both one of them got that way because they kind of merged with another church, you know, 
did one of the more effective ways of church planting, church split. And so they, they did that. But I'm telling you, so out of 150 church planters, we have two running over 200. So if we're going to plant 1,000 churches, so just think about this as a church planter coming to South Florida. Oh, by the way, the average for our church plants in South Florida over the last five years, average per head giving, $7. Okay, now, you may reach a more affluent and generous demographic, and your great teaching may inspire people to give more. And you may be such a magnetic person that you may go do better than any of the 150 people who've left hearth and home sold out to come plant a church. And you may be better than all 150 of them and more effective and God may bless you. But just I'm thinking reasonably, if we're going to plant a thousand churches, we're talking about guys three, four, five years in running 100 to 150, getting less than $10 a head, trying to figure out how to make it. So what I'm trying to say is if it's middle class church planters, who are planning on they and multiple pastors living a middle-class lifestyle with their families in South Florida three, four, five years in, even if they're famously successful, the math does not work out, does it? So if we're going to do it, what are we going to do? We've got a couple options. One is let's not plant churches down there because it's too expensive, it's too hard. Nobody can do it. Is that you think that's a good option? That's a terrible option. So how are we going to do it? Well, we believe that the only way to get it done on a large scale is by vocational church planters. We think we have to put together teams of church planters who are prepared educationally, financially, and otherwise to come to South Florida, and their plan from day one is to be bivocational. So they are planning on planting this church and not requiring a salary, maybe ever. And we need teams of people willing to do that. The benefit of that is if they will do that. The math almost works if you don't pay pastors. Okay? The math just about works out right if you don't pay the pastors. If you don't have to do health insurance and all this and salaries, you can put together the rest of it. it it'll almost work. And so if we're going to do that, we've got to identify bivocational pastors. Now, let me make a little confession to you. In my own mind, when when somebody said they're a bivocational pastor, when somebody says we're trying to do something with bivocational pastors, I've always thought bivocational pastors is kind of like guys who couldn't work at a real church, and they ended up being bivocational because that's the only way they could do it. And there's probably some truth to that in some cases. But what I'm figuring out is we better identify some guys who could work at any church in America, but they choose to be bivocational out of calling because they love the Great Commission, because they want to plant churches, because they want to reach people for Christ, and they just choose to do it out of calling and love for Jesus and love for people. And that's what we've got to identify. And I will tell you, we've been praying about this and talking about this in our church, and I can't speak for every church. Those people are in your churches. Those people are in your churches. There are people whose jobs would allow them to live anywhere in America that they want to live. And they could live anywhere. They could travel. A lot of it's done by computer. They, they kind of have the job where they could get it, especially in major cities. They could work in any. There are people with the skills to work in any major city in the world if they want to. And you and I can identify them, help them find a mission field for them, and get them trained. If we would give them the training and the equipping and the network and the support, they can plant churches. 
I, I just met a fellow from Spokane, Washington. Raise your hand right here. Firefighter on a team of church planters, four pastors at his church, all of them bivocational. None of them getting paid by the church. And he says that the people he's reaching, um, one of the things that they say to him over and over is we think it's kind of neat that you're a pastor and you have a real job. Okay, so, I mean, that's what people think about full-time pastors. Like, what do you people do all week long? That's what they think about full-time pastors at large churches. What do they think about people who are full-time pastors of a church with no people? How do you explain to them? I'm a full-time church planter. Well, what do you do? I start a church. How many people do you have? Well, none yet. So what do you do? Well, I, it's hard to explain it. He can explain it. I'm a firefighter. He's connected to lost people all day long. I mean, it's an incredible platform, and his church does not have the, 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 the necessity of paying a salary. Now, I do think it's possible. God blesses the church. The church grows. There could be a time when the church, the needs of the church, demand more full-time attention. And at that point, the church will have to call somebody full-time. It could be one of these bivocational guys. Or it could be somebody, whoever, whatever the church wants to do. But what a blessing. And that will make the math work. But in order to do it, we're going to have to give them the training and the support and the network um, and the sense of brotherhood in order to do it so they're not out there on an island. I'll just say this in our church. Here's, let me just tell you about a guy named Josue Leon. Josue Leon has an MBA from Palm Beach Atlantic University. He grew up in Haiti. He moved to the United States. He married a Spanish girl. Um, they have a little baby. And Josue comes into my office. I want to plant a Haitian church for second-generation Haitians. He is a financial advisor for Northwestern Mutual. Um, he's just getting started. He doesn't have a lot of money. But he said, I'm going to do it as a bivocational church planter. Will you help me? And so I prayed about it and said, yes, like we're on the spot because we already know we're going to do it. And so we have gathered around him. He's got a core group of about 40 people that are meeting every Sunday morning, and they're going to launch this fall uh, family church for Haitian Americans. Um, we've got another guy who's bivocational. He works at Palm Beach Atlantic University. He grew up in Miami. He and his wife are second-generation Cubans, and he has planted La Iglesia Familiar, and it's family church in Spanish. And he has about 80 people attending, just launched about 10 months ago, has 80 people attending his church plant. He's bivocational. Sitting right here on the front row, uh, Eric Kelly is right here. Wait, everybody, Eric. It's Eric Kelly. Eric Kelly is a vice president of a fund that funds um, charitable health care institutions. Um, Eric's well-respected in our community, highly educated. He's got a beautiful family, and Eric is helping us. He's already planted two churches in Palm Beach County, and he's helping us plant these churches. He's bivocational. Peyton Dowd sitting right here with his church planter glasses on. Excellent. Wave everybody, Peyton. Peyton is a full-time pharmaceutical. My kids would love that. Pharmaceutical salesman, and he makes a living for his family uh, selling drugs. And <laughs> and most of them are legal with a prescription. And uh, Peyton um, is going to be planting a church in 2014. He's in our residency program. He's training to plant a church, and he's got a team of other guys. There's another guy who wasn't able to come. His name's Scott Crawford. He's an IT professional. He's going to help us to be, he's a bivocational church planter. There's another guy named Jimmy Muir. Jimmy has been a full-time staff member at our church. He went to seminary. He came back. He's now full-time working at CarMax selling cars. He's very good at selling, and Jimmy is going to be on a team to help us plant a church, bivocational church planter. So these people are in your church, 
and they want to do it and they have the skills. And I've got a list of other men who are entrepreneurial. They're leaders. They're magnetic. They're decision makers. We can identify them and begin to pray for them and persuade them they could go plant a church. If that happens, guess what? They're not under pressure three years in to be raising $200,000 a year out of their congregation because that's not necessary. They're going to have to have some people are going to have to give, but it lengthens the horizon for success. It lengthens the horizon for sustainability. And perhaps these churches will grow and demand full-time attention from a pastor, but maybe not. Or maybe these men and their families just sacrificially decide we can do more kingdom work doing it this way. And so we're on this journey. We have eight guys in a residency program with us in South Florida. We are focused on trying to plant 100 churches in South Florida. We're, we've got a training program set up to do it. We're partnering with the North American Mission Board and the Florida Baptist Convention and other interested churches. If you or your church are interested in partnering with us, uh, feel free to get a hold of us. We're all wearing these white shirts. We stole the North American Mission Board's logo without permission and made our own SIN shirts, SIN South Florida. And we loved what we are partnering with Florida Baptist Convention and, and the North American Mission Board. And we would love to partner with you through those channels um, if you're interested in doing that. So, may I have any comments or questions for a handoff to, to Randy? Okay, his question is, how many of our future church plants will be bivocational? I will tell you right now, our intent is 100%. Now, they may not all be bivocational, but we're looking at the math and we're saying we can't get this done raising half a million dollars per church plant. We cannot do it. We don't have the resources to do it. So we're going to have to find another way. So our, Now, I'm not saying that, that that'll – I'm not swearing in blood, but our intent – is that we're trying to create a model where we are recruiting and training bivocational church plants. And it may mean that they plant a bunch of small churches. Like maybe without their full-time attention, they may not go to 1,000. They may go to 100, 150, 200. I don't know. They may go to 40. I don't know. But we're going to create, we're going to let them, we're going to send out people to them and with them and help resource them to get them started. But our intent is all of them. Yes, sir. Okay, his question is, how do you best budget your time if you're a bivocational pastor? And I, I would tell you, I, I would let you, I want you to go talk to one of these guys. If you're a bivocational pastor right now, would you raise your hand? Okay, I think it would be better for you to speak to one of these guys because it's kind of hypocritical for me to even answer that question because I've never had to do it. Never done it. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, you're right. The family math is a challenge also. We have to find ways. But one of the things about sustainability is um, if you are a bivocational church planter, you cannot be a full-time church planter. I mean, you're going to have to find ways to just say, I have a family, I have to work. I'm not going to do everything that I would be doing if I had full-time support. I know it's easier said than done, but you're, people are going to, have, like you said, you're going to have to make the math work somehow because you can't lose your family, you can't lose your wife, you can't lose your children. You can't work 40, 50, 60 hours at your job and then work 60 hours at your church. I mean, you can't physically do it unless you're single. So that, that's that you got to make that make that happen. Yeah, you want to say Yep. Yeah, protecting those pastors from burnout. Again, I think you have to protect them from burnout the same way you have to protect anybody from burnout in any job. And that's just you've got to prioritize your schedule. There's got to be times when you just say no. 
Um, there's got to be times when you let some people go unvisited, uncalled. There's got to be times. I don't care who you are. There's got to be times when you go, you know what? However good the sermon is with this much study, and that's how good it's going to be. And it could be better if I studied a lot, but that's what I've got, and it's going to have to do it. There's just going to have to be times when you just say, I can't do more and do what I have to do. And that requires prioritizing, and it requires some discipline. But I don't care how you do it. It's painful. I mean, Paul said, uh, I'm missing meals. I'm having a hard time sleeping. And the marks I bear on my body are nothing compared to the burden on my heart that I share for these people that I'm trying to lead and reach. And I think we just have to carry that load. There's no there's no simple silver bullet. There's no easy way to, to do this. And uh, so, so I do think it's – I'm not trying to minimize the challenges, but I am saying – we have to think of some sustainable ways to plant these churches and raising hundreds of thousands of dollars per church plan on the Hail Mary plan is, is not a great long-term approach. Yes, sir. Randy, you take, you cut me off here last. Okay. I think team is important. Well, we, we only implant, we only plan to do it with teams of three. So there wouldn't be one guy carrying the whole. There will be a lead pastor with a team of two guys with them. And our hope is that that will help them to share the load. But we know it's, I mean, again, don't hear me saying this will make it all easy and make it all better. It's hard. But it's going to be hard however you do it. I mean, some of you guys have done the full-time church planting route. It's hard, too. I mean, it is just hard. And um, we're not saying it make it easy. But we do think, I mean, I, again, the math does not work. I know this isn't going to work long term on a large scale. I know that 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 is not going to work. So we're going to have to create some other strategies. And we think this is a we think bivocational is a way to do it. And frankly, throughout church history, this is how it's been done. I mean, the whole the whole idea of a kind of a landed gentry of pastors is relative, you know, relatively new phenomena um, outside of the Catholic Church. So. All right, Randy, thank you guys. Thank you very much.